and we're going to be thinking about uh, the theme of the divine forgiveness. And this is a great passage to think about that, as well as its consequences. I need to get my reading glasses out. I've put somewhere, I can't remember where I put them. Uh, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Good, okay. Well, I'm going to plough on and hope I can uh, read it clearly enough. No, no, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. Uh, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get in to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the man that was paralysed on the pallet that he was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. He began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, the passage splits into two. We have the healing of the uh, man who is paralysed on his mat, and then we have the call of Levi and the great dinner that Levi uh, throws <coughs> for Jesus and his disciples and some of his um, suspect friends, perhaps we could put it like that. And of course, whenever Jesus preaches, there is action, isn't there? 
Here he is, preaching in uh, the home where he stays, perhaps the home of Peter and Andrew, and he's preaching away, and people are so excited by the message, they are pressing to hear what he's got to say. And there he is, he's going through his discourse, we're not told what he's saying, whether he's speaking parables or, or, or how he is speaking to the crowd. But in the middle of this this message that Christ is giving, he hears the roof being taken off. I mean, that would give a a sense of action. You know, the congregation were getting bored. They were about to be livened up a bit. And so, the guys, as it says in the the Gospel, they, they unroof the roof. They take the roof off. Why? Because they are desperate to get this paralysed man to Jesus. There's no room to go through the door, so what we're going to do is we're just going to take the roof off. Now, if that doesn't tell you anything else, it tells you that they were determined. Here we're a group of people who are determined. And we can assume that the, the man who is paralysed is driving them off. I mean, presumably, he said to this fall, look, you've got to get me to Jesus, because he's going to heal me. And when they can't go through the door, get up on the roof, let's see if we can get away through that way. But they are determined to get to Christ. And Jesus tells us why. He tells us why they were so keen to get to him. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. What drove them on was faith. The overwhelming expectation that if they could get to Christ, Christ would heal and Christ would restore. And of course we're told nothing about the background of this man. Nothing at all. We're told nothing about his four friends. But what we have to assume, because otherwise the story would make no sense at all, is either they have heard Jesus preach in the past, or they have heard other people talk about what Jesus has said and about what Jesus had done. And this, after all, is Capernaum. Capernaum will be the place of some of his most remarkable miracles because he will say of Capernaum, you did not repent. And yet you saw all these signs and wonders and you did not repent. So it was a place of remarkable works of Christ. And so it is that as they have heard and as they have watched or seen, so there has been born into them faith. And with faith, knowledge. That's the great peculiar thing about faith. Faith gives us knowledge. It gives us knowledge of God. And they just know, get to Christ, and he will heal. It's the writer of the Hebrews who says in chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is what we see here. They come with overwhelming sense of assurance and hope that God is going to deliver 
without fail, no ifs, no buts, no doubts, he's going to deliver. It was John who said in his first epistle, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. But of course, the healing is not the first thing that Jesus does. First thing he says to the man who is paralysed, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then there is a further interruption. Jesus is further interrupted. But it's a silent interruption. Because as he is saying those words, he knows within himself And the commentators sometimes say whether the teachers of the law were frowning. The scripture never says that. The scripture simply says that Jesus knew what they were thinking. This man blasphemes. This man blasphemes. And that becomes the occasion, doesn't it, for Jesus to then uh, prove that he has authority on earth to forgive sins. We can be so grateful in one sense for the unbelief of the scribes as they hear Jesus pronounce forgiveness. We can be so grateful that it gave him the opportunity to expand the reason why he has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is an absolutely key point about the Gospel, it's the key point about Christ, that he is given divine authority to forgive sin. And to to forgive it absolutely, with complete divine sanction, and divine authority. So he has the power. He has the authority. Nobody else is given that power or authority to forgive sin. It lies solely and only with Christ. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit, that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. So he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. Now, we can imagine at this point, as Mark unfolds the account to us, that perhaps there is a change of the way that Jesus looks. So, he looks originally there at at the teachers of the law. He looks at them 
And he says in effect to them, in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, that you, you who do not believe, you who think I'm blaspheming, that you may know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he turns to the paralytic. And he says, take up your mat and walk. And he does so. And what happens? Well, the whole congregation, including the people who had been accusing Jesus of blaspheming, say, we have never seen anything like this and glory is given to God. But let's think more closely. It is as the Son of Man. There's the clue. There is the clue to Jesus' authority because he throws us right back into the book of Daniel. He puts us right back into chapter 7 of Daniel he puts us right back into verses 13 and 14 of Daniel 7. In my vision, says Daniel, at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And what is this great authority, glory and sovereign power? It is the authority, glory and sovereign power to forgive sin. That's what it is. Who are the great multitudes who appear in the book of Revelation before the throne of the Lamb? Those over whom the Lord Christ has exercised his authority, his glory, his sovereign power to remit sin. To remit sin. And we notice from the passage that that message was for all. It was a message that those who were driven by the law, who were driven to believe that they could justify themselves before God through keeping the law, they needed to hear the gospel, they needed to understand the gospel because they were looking in the wrong place. They thought by obeying the law, they would be just before God. It was the great stumbling block. Think about Paul, driven by the law. To what? To destroy the church. To destroy the church. To destroy everything that Christ represented. The authority and power to forgive sin. Paul is determined to destroy it until he sees the glory of Christ on the Damascus Road. The law, never designed to save us. Never designed to bring us forgiveness of sin. There's no forgiveness in morality. 
There is no forgiveness in law-keeping. There's only one who forgives sins, and that's the Son of Man. He alone has the authority to forgive sins. And that points us to the desperate nature of the fall, that the depth of our iniquity and our corruption and our rebellion is so deep and it's so profound that we cannot be saved, saved by Christ. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other doorway we can go through into the presence of God. The fact of the matter is that this Son of Man, where is he now? Seated at the right hand of God. Having been through the cross and as our great high priest, having made the great sacrifice, having risen, having ascended, he now shares the throne, the power and the glory of his Father. And he and the Father are one in his ministry of pronouncing forgiveness through the Gospel. Son, your sin are forgiven. What a wonderful statement of assurance. Because that's what the authority of Christ gives. The authority of Christ overrides everything. Overrides the accusations of Satan. The authority of Christ overrides the accusations of the Christian conscience when we sin. He remains the one who has the power to forgive sin. It overrides the accusations of the world that find fault with us. Christ, the one who forgives sin. And then we come to the second part of the reading. Jesus goes out, he's beside the lake, a large crowd comes to him and he's teaching them. Again, the situation is in teaching. And as he walks along, he sees Levi, son of Alphaeus. Levi is an employer, in effect, of Herod. What Herod would do, because it's Herod's jurisdiction, uh, therefore, therefore uh, Levi's job is to collect taxes for Herod. He would agree with Levi the price that Levi would pay to collect taxes. You would buy the job and you were then free to use your power to knock money out of people who were travelling into Herod's territory and likely that they were, uh, he was uh, collecting uh, taxes from the fishermen for their fish and all sorts of manner of means. But of course, as as we describe it, we can see that it was a job by its very nature open to astounding levels of corruption. And that's why you could make a lot of money, because you had Herod behind you. You couldn't trade if you didn't pay your taxes. It wasn't in Herod's interest for Levi not to be able to collect his taxes. And therefore, we can see that this man would have been uh, corrupted profoundly by the power the money, uh, 
a man who was a long way from God. A long way from God. Sometimes that's the way with God, that he calls people who are just so far away from him. They're the kind of people the church never ever expects to be found in their midst. Uh, And that's the great glory of the Gospel. It's unexpected. It does the unexpected. It's the glory of Christ. Remember a a man who uh, had been a a farmer and on his uh, his, uh, spare time he would go around the clubs, he'd do card tricks, he'd make extra money that way. He would play, uh, he was one of the official Ronald McDonald's. And he used to get a load of dosh for going off and playing Ronald McDonald. And uh, he made all this money and uh, he was a complete atheist. He believed in absolutely nothing. Nothing. Didn't believe it. And he was a relative of, by marriage, of my son-in-law. And uh, I, happened to be up, I happened to be up near where he lived. I happened to go to this church. I happened to hear, hear this preacher, you see. Uh, and I said to my son-in-law, I said, you've got to tell, tell so-and-so, just go and hear the preacher. Right? And so, you know, he just did. And the pastor there started to meet with him, started to meet with him regularly. And he came to faith. He would have been the last person on earth You'd expect to come to faith because he'd felt no need for Christ. He didn't feel a need. This wasn't a person who was thinking their life was meaningless. They were quite content with the house and what they had. They didn't need anything else as far as they were concerned. But it's the power of the call of Christ through the gospel, that authority to forgive sin. And that's why we can never ultimately Uh, write uh, people off because Christ is on his throne and he does the unexpected. Something to look forward to in the forthcoming holiday club where one may have a sort of collection of children turn up that you may be delighted to have or thoroughly undelighted to have. But what the Lord can do in such situations. So the word of, uh, comes to Levi, follow me. Levi got up and followed him. Again, Levi must have heard Jesus preach and teach. The word had touched his heart. And Luke tells us that he leaves everything. He leaves everything to follow Christ. That's the power of the gospel. What the gospel does is, it separates us from everything else that we love. That's the power of Christ's forgiveness, isn't it? Uh, Jesus once said to a Pharisee, uh, uh, you know, this woman comes in and uh, uh, he's eating with the Pharisee and there she is, she's a woman who is living beyond the Jewish law. She comes in, she weeps over Christ, she wipes his feet with her hair. The Pharisee is just so disgusted. I mean, how can this man, if he's anything remotely holy, allow anything like this to go on? 
How can he have any sense of holiness when he's allowing this to go on? And of course, what Jesus says, he tells him the parable, he tells him the two debtors make your choice, which will love the one more, uh, the one who's forgiven 50 or the one who's forgiven 500 denarii. You know, which will he love more? And the Pharisees say, well, of course, the one who's forgiven most. But that's the point, isn't it? That our love for Christ is going to be a reflection of how much we sense he has forgiven us through his cross. And that's really what the gospel does with us over the years. Surely one of the things that happens over the years, the more deeply we know God, the more deeply we know our own sin, and the more deeply we must know the work of the cross and the love that Christ has shown us. Because it's out of that the desire to share comes. What happens with Levi? He's called to follow Christ. And while Jesus is having uh, dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. Uh, Christ, by his work of forgiveness and by touching Levi's life, draws in these multitude of people. What we can see here is a profound divide at the heart of this society where you would have had the Pharisees who would have exercised extraordinary influence and power far beyond their natural punching weight. They were a small group of people but they would have run the synagogues and they would have had real political influence and here they are, here they are separated, emphasising the law, emphasising the holiness, and the response of many is, there is no hope for us. There's no hope for us. The Levites of this world had given up on any sense of hope, of salvation for themselves, and those who they mixed with were people who had given up on any sense of salvation for themselves. They were without hope. And they got on with their lives accordingly and of course they needed to have their own human community, their own company and so there they are, mixing together, delighted to have Christ as he eats with them and expresses what forgiveness leads to which is fellowship with sinners, fellowship with the corrupt, fellowship with the unclean, the impure the ones who need faith and divine grace. And of course, what again? Teachers of the law, there they are again. They were there in the first account we looked at. Here they are in the second account. Why does he eat with tax sectors and sinners? Good question. Why does he? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So I take it, if you and I are calling ourselves Christians, we are calling ourselves sinners. After all, how could we be Christ? We weren't sinners. Jesus might say, what are you doing in my surgery? 
If you've got no spiritual need, if you've got no need of my forgiveness, why are you wasting my time? And the great thing for us is that here we have somebody to go to with the sins that we would never want to speak to anybody else about as our high priest. Remember the old hymn, Pardon from an Offended God. Pardon for sins of deepest dye. Pardon bestowed through Jesus' blood. Pardon that brings the rebel nigh. Pardon the things that wake us up in the middle of the night, the memories, the things we said, the things we did, the things we failed to do, the regret, the fact that you cannot rewrite history, you cannot rewrite the events that went wrong. What am I to do with these burdens? Take them to Christ. Take them to Christ. The very seriousness of your sins do not keep you from your high priest. His grace is deeper, far, far deeper. And then to see our lives, what are they? What are our Christian lives? Our Christian lives are only our response to his amazing grace. That's all they are. Grace is not given to us that we might become worthy through the law. Through grace we become obedient to God, yes. But never as a means of our, our right standing before God. That belongs to Christ alone. Only Christ gives us right standing before God. But the great message of grace is to see that actually the rest of our life is, is to there to express a sense of debt to the Lord. And the deeper the sense of debt, the deeper the sense of, 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 of the grace of God, the deeper the work of the Spirit, the way that God will use us in his grace. Wasn't that not so true of Paul? When Paul could say, I laboured more than all of them, he catches himself, he stops. He's heading down the road of the law. I laboured more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. And he knew he could never repay through his ministry. No matter how much he was used of God, it could never be repayment for the sin that he had committed the wrong that he had done, that belonged to Christ and to Christ alone. And I suggest to you that as we become excited by the gospel, so we are encouraged to pray for other people who are not Christians. We're helped to witness to Christ uh, and we become instruments through which the message of Christ reaches others just as Levi, when he was called, reached out to those who were in his set and drew them to Christ. Maybe the gospel. Maybe the gospel is something that we think more about. Not just for unbelievers, but for us Christians too. The gospel is for us. And we need to grab it with both hands and seek the Lord's blessing in our lives, in and through it. 
I've gone on. Let's pray. Lord, we want to give you thanks for all your grace and goodness to us. And Father, we just pray that your grace will work deep within us. You know the profundity of our needs. Our hearts are spread before you in all their poverty of spirit. We pray you will grant us your kingdom in Christ. Amen.